and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this week's show, we're reflecting on the Blues' narrow win at Hull as Frank Lampard's side booked a place in round five of the FA Cup. We'll also look back on a frustrating night against Arsenal at the bridge ahead to Saturday's trip to Leicester, ask whether there'll be any incomings or outgoings before deadline day and examine Chelsea's new sponsorship deal. All that, plus we meet another cult hero in this edition of Straight Out of Cobham. This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Bet365's Bet Builder lets you create personalised bets and calculate the odds for any football match right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Yes, hello again, listener, or maybe hello, listener. First time, as always, welcome to join our weekly Chelsea chat. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, and alongside me are the Athletics Chelsea experts. So full house for the first time in a long time. Liam Toomey, Simon Johnson, and Don Fifield all here with me today. Hello to you all. Hello. hello. I just realised we're taking the FA Cup more seriously than anyone else. What a full <laughs> complement of people. There's no squad rotation at all. And it's top of the running order. Take that, Jurgen Klopp. Before we get going, the dictionary definition of karma is the sum of a person's actions in this and previous states of existence viewed as deciding their fate in future existences. Why am I telling you that, listener? Well, those of you who heard last week's show will remember me snidely reading Simon's tweet about his travel woes getting to and from Newcastle. Fast forward seven days and there's me taking six and a half hours, three trains (laughs) and a nearly £100 taxi to get to the KCOM stadium. Lesson learned. And that rather clunky segue guides us into our first port of call today. Hull City 1, Chelsea 2. So the Blues booked their place in round five of the FA Cup for the 23rd time in the last 26 seasons. Take a moment to think about that. Uh, Simon, you and I were on Humberside on Saturday evening. Late scare as per, but really Chelsea thoroughly deserved to go through, didn't they? Absolutely. And it, same old story, really. And you could see Lampard... Um, regularly on the sideline losing the plot as chance after chance went begging and and he even said afterwards how whilst it's a very familiar script about him moaning about missed chances um, that he has to keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it until perhaps the message gets uh, hammered home to his players because it will catch up with them it's obviously um, paid they sort of um, missed out in recent weeks on results they should have won because of it. Um, but you, you, you detect a real sort of growing tension with him um, that Chelsea aren't winning games a lot more easily than they should have done. But overall, it was a it was a good performance with um, I think Kovacic once again sort of proving his worth to the side, particularly in Jorginho's absence. I think Chelsea played a lot quicker in midfield, and perhaps that's something that uh, Lampard will consider going forward. Mm. Don, what I liked about the tie was that the Championship side took it seriously. We've seen far too often this year, you know, look at Brentford against Leicester on Saturday, they made nine changes to their team. Grant McCann picked his strongest possible team. The stadium was sold out, so it was actually a proper test rather than you're going to play a mid-table Championship side's reserves. Yeah, yeah. look, it's a criticism of the FA Cup, isn't it? More and more teams that's making these sweeping changes now. But yeah, fair play to... For Hull. And they gave it a go. They had 14 shots in the in the match. I just think that the whole occasion was just typical, as Frank said, typical of Chelsea in recent weeks. And if that had been a Premier League game, and if the hosts had a bit more top flight quality and pedigree to them, 
it would have been you know feasible that that Chelsea didn't win the game they would they would have been punished for the profligacy at one end and and uh, the sort of vulnerability that they've shown at the other um so i, I suspect that lampard I mean, he'll have left grateful that they're they're through and uh, as we said last week you know progress in the fa cup is significant for chelsea this season it's a means of winning silverware uh, which would sort of fit the brief that's been put towards Lampard this 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 term but the same issues are there and and they're not going away and and they've got a few days left now to to try and address them in this window um Liam Simon mentioned Mateo Kovacic played well I thought Billy Gilmore did really well off the bench mm. too particularly given that he presumably finished his paper round just a couple of <laughs> hours before in terms of people who didn't take their chance though Pedro Simon's written about for the Athletic this week one of those but also thought Ross Barkley was quite disappointing and, and I kind of feel like we might be in the sort of end throes of his Chelsea career potentially too. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we reported, I think, before Christmas that, that Chelsea were open to listening to offers for Barkley this year, whether in this window or beyond. Um, and I think you can see why, because it was. It, I actually felt it was a fairly standard Barkley performance. He did some good things, slipped Mason Mount in a couple of times, made some good runs from midfield, the kind of runs that Lampard doesn't think he's been seeing enough into the box from his central midfielders. But his end product was wildly erratic. There were also times in midfield where, I know Simon said, you know, Kovacic was moving the ball quickly, but sometimes Barkley needs a little bit too long to make a decision, I think. He takes a touch where he, he should be a little bit maybe more decisive. And there was one point, certainly towards the end of the game, where he gave the ball away in a really bad area. Gilmore had, had run ahead of him and he was the deepest line midfielder and just presented the ball to Hull in injury time you know when Chelsea are only 2-1 up and I, th I think those are the kinds of things that really frustrate Lampard um, he said a couple of times that he 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 likes Ro he likes Barkley as a as a player um, but I think he's also incredibly frustrated by him as, as previous managers have been and I think at this stage of his career you kind of have to accept he is what he is and and what he is is probably not good enough for for the team that Chelsea want to be what sort of price would he fetch do you think I mean looking back because they was it, it was over 30 million they paid for him it from was Everton, wasn't it? In, the, in the January eventually turned up no it was, it was 15 F oh was it that and, was and, it? and then his agent got a fair <laughs> fair bit on top which because um, oh, he was out of contract it, at Everton it, it, coming that up. Yeah, summer yeah, and right. then um, yeah. if you remember Everton including the Liverpool mayor uh, <laughs> to great delight in in how it was all handled but um, I think I think that's why Chelsea one of the reasons Chelsea bought him was because the moment they signed him, they they, they were guaranteed a profit. Yeah, sure. Because it, whilst people went fifteen million plus the agent's fee for someone out of contract a few months later, seemed crazy in 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 some respect. This is an England midfielder in his mid mid twenties, and even if it didn't work out, they know that they could get at least at least double. Yeah, West Ham would give you double that oh, tomorrow. They, well, they? Uh, West Ham would pay a fortune right now for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we record the show, Chelsea's still in the hat. The draw hasn't been made uh, in the hat, by the way. Check out the new football cliches podcast from the Athletic <laughs> for more of that kind of phraseology. A uh, listener, you know exactly who Chelsea have been paired with by now. The tie is scheduled to take place on Wednesday, the fourth of March. March. And next on our agenda, we're going to look back at last week's draw with Arsenal. Won't spend too long on this as it's uh, old news, but worth reflecting on briefly. It finished 2-2. Uh, Liam, what happened to Chelsea once David Luiz got sent off? They were playing quite well before that. They completely lost control of the game, which was immediately apparent and immediately baffling. 
Um, I think they, they, they just weren't really prepared for the way Arsenal set up with 10 men, which was still very expansive. They were still playing very much a front three with Martinelli and Pepe playing very, very wide, trying to stretch Chelsea where they could. And uh, and the most remarkable thing to me was that Chelsea couldn't keep the ball with a man extra. They were they were going long stretches. And I checked the possession at half time, and it was 52-48. Given that Arsenal played half of that half with a man less, you'd expect a, a different kind of percentage. Um, and it changed in the second half because I think Arsenal actually losing a man gave them the excuse to fall back on the game plan that Bournemouth, West Ham... And to a certain extent, Southampton, although they were maybe a little bit more expansive, Newcastle at home, all employed against Chelsea, sit deep, defend narrow, give them the wide areas and counter-attack with pace. And we saw again that that, that game plan is, is pretty much bulletproof against this Chelsea team. They have not found a way to, to solve it. And you look at the you know you look at the metrics after the game the the xg continues to look good for chelsea you know they they should have won the game by those metrics but by the actual scoreline um it felt like arsenal were were pretty worthy worthy of a draw at least and they they did look like the more dangerous team for long stretches of the second half i think given the context it was probably the most demoralizing result of chelsea's season even though they've had worse results to to not control the game against ten man Arsenal um, at home for more than an hour, I think was was really really worrying, and you could you could sense that from Lampard afterwards. Mm. Dom, you've mentioned profligacy already. There was a bit of naivety here too, wasn't there? When Abraham went down after Chelsea had gone two one up, he should have then gone off, or they should have got the ball out of play so he could get some treatment because he was not yeah, in a position was, to tackle Bellerin. He was hobbling around on the edge of the area while Bellerin was was relatively free. Um, I felt a bit. I know Kepa copped a lot of criticism for that for that performance. I thought it was a bit. That was a bit unfair on on this occasion. Um, certainly in terms of the goals, uh, I thought he was unsighted. A lot of bodies between him and the ball for the second goal, in particular, he was exposed badly for the first. Um, but it's it's fair to say that he's not inspiring huge amounts of confidence in those in front of him. I agree with what Liam says there. It was dispiriting. Because everything seemed to be going for Chelsea, you know. David David Luiz, the sort of pantomime villain on the occasion, gets sent off. You know, the, the opportunity is there to wipe the floor with, uh, you know, a rival, um, and the failure to capitalise, and and the the fact that the same old problems keep cropping up. Uh, you can sort of see why Lampard was simmering through through those last stages. Is there something, Simon, tactically you think that Lampard needs to to alter for these big upcoming home games? He's got Spurs, Man United and Bayern Munich in the next few weeks. I think midfield is a a big issue that he's still sort of figuring out what his best midfield is. Not helped by the fact that Kante, I thought, had another disappointing game. Um, Jorginho is not this creative force that Chelsea need him to be. Um, but who, you know what are the options? I mean, we've just talked about Ross Barkley. Is he doing enough to put those guys under pressure? I, I'm not sure. Uh, me and Liam wrote about Mason Mount, and and he's sort of feeling, I think, the pace of a of a long season at, at this level. So the, the problem that Frank has is there aren't actually that many options for him to do. I mean, yes, he could go to back to a four-two-three-one uh, potentially. Um, and perhaps that might suit Kante a bit more rather than being the right of the three because I'm not seeing the Kante um, that we've seen in previous years this season. He, he, I know he was unfortunate with that slip which led to the goal, but I just thought that was kind of indicative of the way he's playing right now. And, and he, he looked, I felt a bit sorry for him at the end actually, he looked pretty 
pretty downhearted and and he is one of the nicest men in, in world football and you don't really want to see that happen to him but um, it's important that Chelsea sort of find a way to um, solve this problem because otherwise they're not only going to crash out the Champions League top four which they're miraculously extending their gap uh, at the moment that can't last forever it, they can't keep getting away with it but Kovacic looked in, at the base of midfield of midfield yeah. against championship opposition yes. I and mean, you, you could pick him there and he could be more progressive than maybe Jorginho is and when Jorginho is arguably his best performance of late was he came off the bench at Arsenal yeah. and helped turn that game around he was spiky he was got in their faces and I wonder whether he could become maybe become an impact player off off the bench and, and for in in these big ties. It's, it's such a big call though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. Because Jorginho is wasn't Frank's signing. He, he's a big character, and I think that's why he made him vice captain. But he's kind of being selected at the moment for his character, not his impact with the ball. And he does need to do an awful lot. But then again, there was that that sort of flash, wasn't there? That chip ball to Barkley. He sort of then sort back-headed, of back-headed yeah. and it was a good save. Um, that was, we need to see more of that if Jorginho is going to sort of deserve his place in the team and actually um, create opportunities against the, the size you're mentioning coming up. I think it's a question that goes to the heart of Chelsea's identity going forward because we've we've now got more than enough evidence to tell us that the full Sarri midfield of Kovacic, Jorginho, Kante just doesn't work collectively. They're all really good players individually. And they're all players that Chelsea, I think, should be happy to build around long term individually. But collectively, there's absolutely no goal threat. Um, there's absolutely no willingness to even attack the penalty area, really. Um, I mean, Kat Kante has done it on occasion, but he's not someone that defences worry about when he's making those runs. Which is why I think this season might have felt so differently if Lampard had Ruben Loftus-Cheek fit the whole time. Because he really was becoming that player towards the end of last season. And you could see the beginnings of a proper balance in that midfield. And I don't think Chelsea have ever had that balance with those three. Mm, well, despite those two drop points, as Simon said, Chelsea inexplicably extended their gap uh, between them and the top four chases to six points. That ahead of Saturday lunchtime's game at Leicester. We look ahead to that next. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each hand-picked especially for you from our selection of hundreds of brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time because we do the shopping for you. And you'll enjoy top styling tips from our experts. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.co.uk forward slash athletic. So the King Power Stadium is the next stop on the Chelsea fun bus. Leicester have had a decent week. They lost at Burnley, but put that behind them with a convincing win against West Ham and then bested Brentford in the cup. Brendan Rodgers, of course, a former Chelsea academy coach. Let me be controversial. Liam, who would you rather have in charge of Chelsea right now, Frank Lampard or Brendan Rodgers? Oh, that is a loaded question. Wow. (laughs) Good luck with that, Liam. Cheers. (laughs) 
I don't think um, I don't think Chelsea would rather have Brendan Rodgers in in charge because I don't, he's not the most popular man at, at Cobham these days, given the um, given the the treatment of several loan players that that Chelsea have given him over the years. You know, Josh McKecker and Victor Moses at Liverpool, Charlie Masonda at Celtic. So I think he's um, you know I think he's burned a few bridges there, and and also of course I think he 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 ruled himself out of the Chelsea job in perpetuity with the I'm trying to build a career, not destroy one, <laughs> remark, um, which was remarkable at the time and 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 still stands out. So he's doing a really really good job at, at Leicester. I think he's always been a good coach. He's 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 undercut his own the substance of his own reputation at times with these kind of David Brentisms that he comes out with. In press conferences, you, you train dogs. I like to educate people. Is my favourite. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure he's a friend first, an entertainer <laughs> second, and a, a manager third. But um, you know, he underneath it all, he, there's a really talented coach, and we saw it at Liverpool. Even though you know you can't really separate that season from what Suarez did, he's now showing it at Leicester, and he's he's empowering Jamie Vardy to have the best season of his life so far. Obviously, he's injured, which is a a big plus for Chelsea, but he's also created a broader balance to that team that that makes them really, really impressive. And I think to an extent they haven't had to answer too much about how for real they are as a top four team this year because they've been put under no pressure in that race. But they've been they've been getting the points they need to get and, and beating the teams they need to beat. They're, f- they're 14 points clear of fifth <laughs> place, which I think is absolutely... That's testimony to how well he's done. It's, it, and they have got one of the most vibrant... Um, and youthful teams in the division, they're dynamic. Um, that said, over the last few weeks, they've started to look a bit weary. Um, and I know, I know I sat here the other week and said, oh, Newcastle are there for the taking and there's no way that Chelsea <laughs> are going to drop points there. But actually, you know, if, if, if you could play Leicester at a time... Can we make this a regular feature, <laughs> Dom's predictions? <laughs> I'm so bad at that. Um, I, I, there is a weariness creeping in and the fact, as you say, that Vardy, with his glute problems, he, he may well be out and that does blunt them. Uh, indeed, he's only just come back from... He was, he's been key. He's been brilliant as a defensive midfielder for them. Um, Madison's been a bit hit and miss as well. So th- there's an opportunity there for... For Chelsea, but they but they need to be firing. They need to have the right balance. They need to be able to to make inroads and take the chances that they create. Mm. And Simon, of course, the other thing in Chelsea's favour is that Leicester have got a League Cup semi final this week, and Chelsea have got a free week. So Frank Lampard and Co will be hoping that that goes all the way to extra time if possible. Is that a big factor? It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, I think more so for t- just speaking on the Chelsea point of view, because the, if you think back to their best performances in recent months. It's been when they've had a clear week of training. So Tottenham Tottenham was one, Burnley was another. Um, and I think that's this is massive for Chelsea, um, to, for Frank to be able to spend a whole week with his players and come up with a game plan. You think back to the sort of first signal of intent that Leicester sent was, one of the first ones was at Stamford Bridge, wasn't it? It was the second game of the season and, and Chelsea sort of with all that early sort of season optimism thought they... They had Leicester sort of where they wanted them, but Leicester actually came and played some lovely stuff to earn a well-deserved point. It's going to be a really tough game for Chelsea, but if they win this, you just sort of think the psychological boost that will give them um, will be massive for the rest of the season. And if you think about it, two of their best performances have also been away from home this season with the 
uh, certainly results-wise with Tottenham and, and Arsenal. So if they can pull this one off as well, who knows, they might be able to extend the gap again. <laughs> well, Chelsea have got a great record uh, in that particular corner of the East Midlands of late too. Haven't lost since Mourinho's last game in 2015. Won four of the five visits there since the exception being uh, a real stinker of a, a nil-nil on the last day of last season. It's 12.30 UK time for kickoff in that one. And next, we're going to talk about a significant change off the pitch. Well, on the shirt. Uh, so last week, we had a question about Chelsea's shirt sponsorship with Yokohama tyres coming to an end, whether there was any news on who would be replacing them. Lo and behold, we got the answer to that late last week when it was announced that a new deal had been struck with the phone and internet provider 3. Fittingly, it's a three-year deal. Uh, we don't know how much that they've paid, but surely significant amount given the Yokohama contract was worth £200 million over its duration. Yokohama, by the way, staying on as the club's official tyre partner because modern football... Um, has anyone got any insight they can offer to this, what it means to the average supporter other than threes promise to make Stamford Bridge 5G enabled by the start of next season, which I'm sure we're all very excited about? Well, we had some indications um, before this was announced that, that, that Chelsea had secured a new sponsor. And from what I can gather, um, the new deal is worth about the same as the Yokohama deal was, i.e. about £40 million a year. Um, now, that might seem a little bit underwhelming to supporters, given that you'd expect these things to be continuously rising. But um, I think in a broader context, it's a little bit of a difficult sponsor market, especially when you are more of a bubble team when it comes to Champions League qualification. You know, Chelsea have been in and out a few times in the last few years. Unless you're Liverpool or City and you're, you're absolutely in it every year or you're Manchester United and you have a license to print money. Um, it's it's a little bit of a, a slightly more difficult sell for other clubs, I think, um, especially with longer-term deals. And I think that speaks to maybe why this is a three-year deal, which works in Chelsea's favour in terms of maybe pursuing more lucrative options down the line if the next three years go well. But it also works for the sponsor as well because they, they get to assess where the club is again. I think when you factor in Chelsea keeping on Yokohama as well, in the aggregate, they would probably claim that they're financially better off going into the next few years commercially because they've turned one partner into two, effectively. Okay, we'll move on to the mailbag. Questions from listeners. Remember, you can get in touch with any of us via Twitter if there's something on your mind Chelsea-wise. And that's what Andrew Turner's done. He asks, if you were managing Chelsea, how would you approach the winter break? Most of the Bundesliga went for a jet-lag-free week in Spain. Would you go for some warm-weather training to break up the routine or stay at Cobham? I'm pretty sure, Dom, that Frank Lampard's theory is let the players... Uh, have a few days to themselves, whether that means going back home if they're not from England or getting a bit of sun on their back and then coming back and do some training. That sounds pretty sensible. Uh, it sounds as if a lot of clubs are doing the same thing um, on that. And yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> we did we did some stuff on this a few a few weeks back over after the festive period with the the clutter. Then um, th- they just need a breather, and the best way of them getting a breather is for them, to, as as Frank has, has indicated, just to give them a bit of time to themselves. They can do what they want. Just treat it sensibly go home if they want to whether that's back to the continent or whatever but then and then you know return to Cobham and and work intensively there and and that's not um unique to Chelsea I think a lot of clubs are looking at it and thinking do I want to take this team abroad for a week and is it will that be beneficial probably not it's just having it's not as if we're having a particularly brutal winter either is it um i guess if some of the training grounds suffer with drainage etc possibly it might be tempted but but not with these not in the premier league not in the premier league it makes far more sense to keep them in-house 
Uh, Chelsea Stuff wants to know, what message does Lampard's desperation to bring in another goalscorer send to Tammy Abraham? Any ideas how he's going to manage that message given Tammy's scored such a high proportion of our goals? Liam, you are a noted Mishibachwai critic and uh, I guess the answer is you can't just have one striker if it was Tammy Abraham or, or anybody else that there needs to be another option. Yeah, I mean, we wrote last week about how overexposed Mason Mount's been but Tammy Abraham's played a, a similar number of minutes. He's not far behind. Um, so it's clear, that I think, that his body has begun to show the strain as well in the last few weeks. Obviously, the, the couple of injuries he's had have been more impact-related, but it, it this is the first time... I know he played a championship season last year, but this is the first time he's played at Premier League intensity every single week. You know, he's not had a bridging season where he's come in and, and played sort of 15, 20 games. He's gone from being first choice in the championship to first choice in the Premier League. It's a monumental step up and and for all the transition of it mentally, it's, it's difficult physically. So I think that's how Lampard will will sell it to him. He'll say that uh, you're, you're still key to what we're doing, but we have a big season to navigate. We, we still have more than one competition to navigate. And if I can't trust Michy Batshuayi, which he hasn't really been able to try, I know he scored... Um, at the weekend, but he's not generally been reliable enough as a backup. Uh, Chelsea just do need other options in that in that area. All clubs of, of those aspirations do. It's not, it's, not, it's a natural thing. Mm, yeah, you can just point to Spurs as the example, uh, I suppose. Finally, one from Sam Stewart. Tino Andrin is having a tremendous season for the youth teams and Gilmore dominated the game at Hull when he came on. What does Tino's trajectory look like for next season? And can we expect Frank to trust Billy Moore as the season goes on? I'm probably best placed to answer the one about Andrew because I've seen quite a lot of him this season. Um, he's going to stay with the 23s and, and under-18s. One would think he's a captain of the of the Youth Cup team, um, and he will, I would imagine, go out on loan next season. But but Simon Billy Gilmore did so well when he came on, uh, and he has played in the Premier League this season. We spoke about midfield options. Is, is he a legitimate one for a Premier League game yet, or is that putting a bit too much on his shoulder? I can't see him starting yet, um, but I can see him perhaps coming on a bit more as a substitute. I think it's a bit too early to to entrust him, particularly with Chelsea's sort of Champions League qualification hopes on the line. It's a big call to trust him. But then Lampard has sent out a very strong signal with just how much he likes him. So I think it's only a matter of time. Hopefully Chelsea will get uh, a good run in the FA Cup so he'll get more game time there as well. But there's no doubt about it. Frank, I don't think he'll want to loan him out next season. I think he wants him in the in the squad with him and maybe he'll be a beneficiary of perhaps someone leaving in the summer. So he steps up in the pecking order. I think the encouraging thing about Gilmore is that technically he's already ready to play Premier League football and, and probably even at Chelsea's level. I think the, the transition is a physical one. He's he's not quite bulked up yet. And that's natural given his age. I think his body will fill out. He'll do, he'll be, I'm sure he'll be doing a lot of strength work at Cobham. Um, but it's more that sort of physical intensity, I think, that they're they're building him up towards. So at this stage, substitute appearances probably make a lot more sense. Mm, it's going to be interesting next season to see if he's ahead of Conor Gallagher in the uh, packing order, certainly. And we better talk about transfers, seeing as the window shuts at the end of this week. Frank Lampard seems to have done a 180 on the subject. Um, I asked him about the possibility of incomings this week when I spoke to him post-match Saturday and he, he was quite softly, softly saying, oh, it's a tough market. We hope to do something. Uh, and then I listened to his interview with BT Sport and he was a, a bit more forthright about it. Don, what do you think's made 
him change his mind if he has? Is it, is it injuries? Is it results? I think it's always that frustration has always been there that they haven't they haven't um, done business yet this month, uh, simmering in the background. Um, he he made it clear quite early on that he ne- he thought they needed something just to kick them on. He, he's he's made the point that Chelsea fell behind quite rightly fell behind because they couldn't they couldn't buy despite the fact they actually spent how many how much on on two players in Pulisic and about 80 million on Pulisic and uh well Kovacic. Pulisic was about 60 million so 100 million on 100 two million players, pounds despite the fact they had a transfer embargo that said you know that's by the by they they lost they lost a key player they lost their best player uh, and a player that if you if you look at the gap between where Chelsea are now and where they were last season I think it's nine points difference well there you go that's what Eden Hazard was worth nine points at the halfway point of the season um they're still striving to replace him to find a way of getting around that um they won't be able to buy like for like but they need reinforcements they need a bit of nous probably at both ends of the pitch um and i would expect them to be really busy making those calls in the next few days whether they're successful or not is another matter because it's a, as Lampard has conceded it's a horrible market to be doing business in uh, Christoph Piatek is a name that seems to have come up recently have we, have we heard anything about whether that's a possibility or is, is he just the new player that gets touted to every, every he's, he's, being club, shocked, he's being shocked around but Chelsea were thinking about him was it a year ago I think they were looking at him and he was doing well at Genoa at, at Genoa and he ended up at AC Milan and got off to a fantastic start Seemed to score week after week, and Chelsea fans were on social media going, "Why, why, why didn't we sign him instead of um, the glorious Higuain?" Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that he's the answer because he's now sort of morphed into someone that's that's struggling to score goals. But you get the impression that, that there's this balancing act between: do you just get anybody, or do you get someone that's going to genuinely make a difference? And that's the problem where where Chelsea are at in this January window. And why Lampard's frustrated is, of course, he knows he's going to be judged come the end of the season if Chelsea finish in the top four or not because they've been gifted this golden opportunity for Champions League football because of the ineptitude of others. Um, bit like last year. Yeah, but I think it's even worse than last year in terms of, at least last year, um, it was almost like they were getting in the way of themselves of getting in the top yeah, four. Yeah. Um, they had the squad to do it, whereas this season, we all—I I certainly tipped them to finish sixth. Um, but who knew that Man United, Arsenal, and Tottenham would be so horrific? Um, so you just get that feeling with Lampard that he's—he's he's frustrated because you can see there's this, there's this golden opportunity, and there's this threat that it will fall down because. They, he doesn't have a goal-scoring backup for Tommy Abraham. Mm. Somebody find out what Nicholas and Elka's doing. Uh, <laughs> lastly, Liam, outgoings-wise, Giroud to Inter seems to have gone a bit quiet. Are you expecting that to be done by the end it's of the week? It's been hot and cold, hasn't it? I think there's there's always um, fairly rigorous negotiations where Marina Granovskaya is concerned um, and Chelsea are certainly not, not, not beyond um, letting a player wait to find out their fate right until the final hours of the window. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't, if it does get done, that it doesn't get done until deadline day because a, clearly a significant factor in this is is while Lampard has said that Giroud's departure isn't necessarily contingent on a striker coming in, it's clear that everyone involved would prefer Chelsea to get a striker to clear the way for Giroud to go. And in the meantime, you're getting lots of posturing noises from Italy about inter considering alternative options as well which 
you know everyone knows how to play games in this market so we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes but it's clear that Giroud wants a change and I think Chelsea are, are certainly not averse to giving him one but it has to has to work for them and they have to come out of this market feeling at least feeling like they're stronger rather than weaker mm. into considering alternative aging premier league options one would assume uh, whilst we're talking transfers danny bashiglio has been on he says throughout the years uh, or even currently re- which recurring clearly fabricated chelsea transfer rumor always makes your eyes roll when you see it no need to answer because stability fc did Alexandro, Cavani or Hulk. Every other answer is wrong. <laughs> Cavani to Chelsea has been like the Nico Gaitan to Manchester United. <laughs> or William recent, Carvalho to years. West Ham, yeah. Almost there's, every window. There's a few others. I'd, I'd, I'd throw in uh, Sergio Ramos as it was a, has been an annual. Whenever he ab- needs a new contract, he links absolutely, himself to the English club. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Isco seems to be a regular oh. one as well. Um, and, and there's never sort of been a sign of that. So, um, every club has them to be yeah, fair yeah, it's not yeah. just Chelsea uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news the women's team brushed aside Charlton in the FA Cup fourth round Emma Hayes shuffled her pack braces from Emily Murphy and Drew Spence saw the Blues through to the fifth round the men's under 23s remain unbeaten in PL2 where they're top of the table after Friday's two all draw at champions Everton on a sandpit of a pitch at Southport the aforementioned Tino Andering got both goals including an outrageous penalty and the under-18s put a couple of disappointing results behind them by beating Newcastle away from home in the quarter-final of the under-18 Premier League Cup. Sam McClelland and Dion Rankin got the goals in a 2-0 win. Now we are almost out of time for today, but before we leave you, it's time to reveal our latest cult hero, the eagle-eared... That's not a thing, is it? What's got good hearing? A moth, apparently, has the best hearing of anything <laughs> in the animal kingdom. Yeah, the moth-eared among you may have noticed that our cult heroes tend to be people who've played not only for Chelsea, but the team that they are playing next. And in that spirit this week, we've picked Dennis Wise, the diminutive and combative midfielder, had 11 years at Chelsea, playing 447 times, scoring 75 goals, winning two FA Cups, the League Cup, the Super Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup. He scored a goal in the San Siro, which is still sung about to this day. And last week, his son Henry, who was in his dad's other arm when Dennis lifted the cup in 2000, made his senior debut in the FA Cup for Watford at Tranmere. Uh, Liam, he was a nice counterpoint to the to the foreign invasion of Chelsea around the early 2000s. Yeah, and if you talk to any of the um, foreign players from that kind of 97 to 2000 cycle, they all talk about how crucial Wise was in setting the culture at Chelsea and making sure that everyone came together you know, insisted on it, on everyone speaking English at the training ground to each other, not letting cliques develop. A lot of that was also pranks and and carrying over the sort of infamous crazy gang culture that he brought with him from Wimbledon. Um, I, I remember reading in his autobiography his attempts to to help Gianfranco Zola settle into to life at Chelsea. Zola was trying to improve his English by reading mystery novels, and uh, and Wise very subtly and very carefully ripped out the final chapter of a of a mystery novel that Zola was reading and didn't tell him um, and, uh, and asked for his review when he finished the book and didn't present the chapter to him about until a month later. Um, you can imagine how Zola felt. And he, and there were also the, the, the standard telling the foreigners that, you know, F you was thank you and, uh, and you know, various translation-themed mischief. So there were, there were lots of little things like that, but um, on the more substantive note, I think Wise was really important for bringing that group of players together and I think you can see it in the way that they all still feel about him um, that him and Zola in particular are still on really good terms and 
uh, I think they all really value the, the leadership he provided to that to that group. Fair to assume, Simon, that he probably had quite a big influence on John Terry in the way that he acted as a Chelsea captain as well. I was going to say, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you, you could argue before John Terry came along um, that, that Dennis was, was the best captain in Chelsea's history. The, the, the whole sort of um, initiation... Um, ceremony with the, with the singing of a song that 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 came from Dennis and of course John then took it on, um, but I I also think that yes there are lots of tales about Dennis and, and he certainly also had his disciplinary issues, um, but he was a very underrated footballer I think and you only have to cast your mind back to the uh, Cup Winners Cup victory of course everyone talks about Gianfranco Zola's finish. But it was the first time pass over the top from Dennis, which found him in, in space, which I think sort of summed up the technical quality of his as well. And, and when you've got a manager like Glenn Hoddle, who knew a thing or two about passing a football, and he really sort of made Dennis Wise sort of a, a key part of his midfield um, and sort of turned him into more of a creative midfielder rather than this... He had this reputation of being a set-piece deliverer and a wide man. Glenn sort of took him on to a, no, give him more responsibility than that. I just think he was a very good footballer as well as a mischievous little so-and-so. <laughs> so on that basis then, Dom, do you think that he would get on well in today's game? Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure he would necessarily fit into the Chelsea setup um, in, in the modern era, but he'd have he'd have a flourishing career uh, and he would be... He would be loved by any club that he played for. Um, he was, I remember him from from, from bef- even before his time at at Chelsea when he was at Wimbledon. He was just a horrible little player. So <laughs> he knew that he was he would he would just cause your, your team problems. He'd wind everybody up, um, and it's he brought like a bit Robbie, of that. Robbie Savage turned up to eleven, wasn't he? But probably a better player. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dis- yeah distinctly better player than that. And I think you're right that, that Chelsea brought the best out of him. A lot of those. A lot of those Wimbledon players from the Crazy Gang were very good footballers, and actually, they once they got taken out of that environment and put into, you know, different different teams, um, the the quality came through in in different ways. And I mean, it's a hell of a career, Dennis Wise at, at Chelsea for them, 1990 to 2001. I mean, that's that's an astonishing number of games, a properly good influence um, on them on the club, and the younger players as well. Um, when he came back and with Leicester, he went out for dinner, I think, that evening with, with Gianfranco Zola and Ken Bates greeted him like a, a long-lost son as well. I mean, it, that shows that ha- the respect in which he was held at the club. Uh, and just one, one other little thing, when, he, when he, he helped relegate Sheffield United during his time in the mid-90s at, at Chelsea. Th- I think he put the cross in for Steen to score the winning goal that sent... Dave Bassett's Sheffield United down, and there were a lot of his former Wimbledon teammates in that Sheffield United team. Like Glyn Hodges was in it, Brian Gale, Alan Cork, um, and he he walked past the away dressing room at Stamford Bridge at the end of that game and saw all his mates with their heads in their hands, and he was properly crestfallen by that. He suddenly it occurred to him what he'd just done. That sums up the man. There was a lot more to him than just the, the, the spikiness on the pitch. He had a he had a heart as well, and he, and he knew that the implications of of what he'd done to that club and that team and his old mates. Ended up being incredible value for Chelsea. You know, yeah. Signed for, what, one million and change in the early 90s, which was a big fee at the time, but you know, given the service that he provided and the way he transformed himself as a player, they as, got as Simon said. As well, yeah. Exactly the same fee that took him to Leicester in the end. Transforming himself from, from, from a sort of beaten man winger into a really properly intelligent 
fairly modern, you know, European central midfielder, and 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 that goal that he scored in the San Siro kind of summed up the transformation that he that he'd put himself through as a player. I think he realised when the foreign stars started turning up at Chelsea that he had to raise his own game in the same way that Frank Lampard did with the you know the Abramovich wave. So. I th- um, yeah, a, a, a very good professional in that sense. If although there, there may have been other areas <laughs> other where he fell short, but um, and all in all, you know, a, a great, great Chelsea captain. Good stuff. We'll have another cult hero next week. In, in terms of uh, what's on the agenda for this week, Liam, you're writing something about Billy Gilmore. Yeah, I'm working on a, um, a background profile on him and his story. You know, coming from Scotland and, and his rise, um, his journey to Chelsea, really, and and, and how. Frank Lampard has, has put so much trust in him so early, even though he's not got big Premier League minutes. I think he's probably had more than most people expected and Lampard has, has been glowing about him at every single opportunity. So, yeah, looking forward to doing that. That should be up early in the week. And then, um, yeah, big plans for, for, for later in the week as well, heading into Leicester. And Simon, you've got something on The Athletic at the moment about Pedro. Yes, another of my another hatchet job. Another of my get rid of rid plate pieces. One by one, I'm coming for you. Uh, no, I mean yes, I, I did write about Pedro. It, it, it's no um, secret that this is, let's be honest, his last season, regardless. And I, and I just posed the argument: uh, why keep him? Um, why, why not let him go now? Particularly when uh, the MLS side, for example, into Miami want, want him. So. You know, perhaps it's best for all concerned to move on. And Dom, now you're done ghost busting with pards. What's on your agenda? You know what? It's it's Monday. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I imagine it'll be uh, something fairly eclectic, but there'll be there'll be a lot of transfer stuff in there as well. Obviously, building up to Friday's deadline. Excellent. Many thanks to Liam, to Dom, and to Simon, and to you, listener, for lending us your ears. We'd be grateful if you did so again next week. Until then, bye for now. Mm-hmm.